Um, we have our core team gathering in Elizabethton at the Boys and Girls Club. And uh, so there's a whole section of our people that usually sit somewhere over there that are actually worshiping in Elizabethton. Uh, we plan uh, to, to launch them out at the beginning of the year, but September, October, November, December, the very first week of those months, they're going and doing what we call preview services. Basically, that's just to find all the kinks and see how we're going to mess things up. Uh, but anyway, just to celebrate with us as a body, we're, we're disciples who make disciples, and one of the those, those platforms is to send people out, to commission people out into every town and every city to continue to plant churches all throughout Appalachia. So we're very, very excited about that. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We have printed the passage there on your worship guide. And we are in the middle of a series this fall. We are going through this book of poetry and this book of wisdom and this, this book of insight in which the writer of the, of Ecclesiastes is named, so, or is named Solomon. And Solomon is the king of Israel, and he has been uh, donned the wisest person to ever walk planet Earth. And so everything he does actually turns to gold. He's a great conqueror, he's a great builder, and he is wise beyond his years. We are now at the end of Solomon's life, and he is a good teacher and preacher and king over Israel. And at the end of his life, he is observing everything under the sun. He is looking at the way we raise our pets and the seasons of the life. He's looking how kids play with one another and how we go about our work. He's talking about intellectia and those types of things. He is trying to examine everything under the sun to try to get to the very essence of what it means to live life where? Here on planet Earth under the sun. Every single week to this point, we have heard King Solomon point to these major circles of life and relationship. And he says, everything is vanity. Do we remember what vanity means? It's more, it's, it's less about taking a selfie with your teenage daughter. You know, it's less about like a um, mirror, mirror on the wall. Vanity here is another word for breath or vapor or smoke. All is in vain. We've heard this phrase before, meaning that once you see it, it dissipates or it's gone. Another word for fleeting or another word for smoke or breath or vapor or mist is that it's fleeting. It's not lasting. And so he's pointing to all of these things under the sun. He says, but be careful not to put too much of your too much emphasis here because it's fleeting, it's short-lived, it's ephemeral. It'll go away before you can, can even hold it. And so there's no way that you can blow one candle out and try to grab that smoke and put it in your pocket. And the same is true about our relationships and our work. And here are the types of things that um, Solomon have, has, has looked at thus far. He's looked at the way that we drink, right? He did there, he went there. He looked at the way that we accumulate wisdom and knowledge and all types of intellectia. He then looks and says, yes, you can do something with that intellect, but what is it going to get you? He then looks at sex and he says, continue, it's just a vapor. 
He looks at our possessions. He looks at justice. He looks at pleasure. He looks at work, right? He looks at death. He looks at all of our purchases on and on and on. And guess what his conclusion to all the things these things are? It's vanity. And so if we're putting our worth here, be careful because it will literally go up in smoke. It will not be worthwhile. Well, today, King Solomon turns his observation skills in another realm. He turns and he points out to us and he says, "This I want you to think about another place in which you may be grasping on too tightly. And that place is very faintly printed, is worship. Whoa, 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 preacher. I can understand this, but really? I mean, this is, he is going to look at our worship and our worship services with a very critical eye. So there is um, a teacher on kind of the Christian circuit who teaches at a lot of conferences and those types of things. His name is Francis Chan. Francis Chan is a man of great influence and those types of things. And he opened up a talk a little bit like this. He was at a conference and there was big music, big teachers and those types of things. And he gets up and he's addressing thousands of people. And he says, was the music not amazing, people? And they're like, "Woo! have we not enjoyed the teaching? Man, what, has it not been amazing teaching? And they're like, "Woo!" And he was like, okay, the skit guys, they're kind of funny, right? And he's just baiting them and baiting them, baiting them. He's like, are we not enjoying ourselves here? And the crowd goes crazy because they really were enjoying themselves. And then he asks a second question. He says, but does God enjoy this? And the place went quiet. Because oftentimes we think about worship in the way that we get out of what we get out of it and things that we are able to gain. And we look at, think about worship and the the way that we kind of take things away from it. And he says, well, maybe just maybe we're looking at the worship culture in a different way rather than looking at what we can gain. Should we not be thinking about how it is affecting God? And we rarely, if ever, think about our corporate gathering as a place to lift up the name of King Jesus over and over and over, dot, 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 only. And this is where it gets a little squirmy. Because oftentimes we come to these kinds of places in the same place that we come to these types of places, and we actually try to gain for ourselves above all things. And King Solomon is going to come alongside what Francis Chan says and said, that is vanity. We want you to consider this morning, right? We want you to consider what it means to worship well. Have you ever thought about the way that the Scriptures often talk about corporate gatherings? There are times in the corporate gatherings where he looks at this body of believers doing this very religious thing and he says, the prayers are nothing but noise to my ears. Ouch. There are some worship gatherings that are not enjoyable or pleasing to God. He looks at the, um, the, uh, the Corinthians. He says, it's better if you don't even gather together. You're doing so much damage. 
Jesus and the book of Revelation. This is the very last book of the Bible. He talks to the seven churches in Revelation. Five of the seven churches, he tells them to repent. What you are doing is so distasteful, Jesus says, that I'm going to remove your lampstand, which is to remove your influence, or I will even spit you out of your mouth. There is a chance that we will look at this word and we will gather simply out of obligation rather than the awe and the glory of King Jesus. And if we're only here out of obligation, there's a warning to us this morning. There's a warning that we can do all of this and still miss it. Is it possible that we can come to church and do very church-y things and it displease God? Is that possible? King Solomon says it is absolutely possible and we must be careful at that. This is a different section. It's chapter 5, 1 through 7. It's a very... Very short passage, right? And it's very different. Usually he's just observing and he's just kind of pointing and shooting and those types of things. But King Solomon, the king over Israel, he looks to the people who worship God for a living. I mean, they, these are God's people and he warns them and he instructs them. This has the most instructive tone so far. He truly wants to be the preacher and he wants to be the teacher. And he says, I want you to listen, 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 listen. I want you to take this very, very seriously. It's poetic still. There's an ebb and there's a flow to the passage. Um, it's, it's, it's come together in what's called like these, these four admonitions, Right? These, these things that are imperatives, like go do this. Very instructive, very formational. And he just simply says, guard your steps and all of that it means. But he just simply says, before you, as you're considering worship, you need to do this. And then after you consider how to guard your step, you need to be not rash with your mouth. I mean, these are just imperatives, right? These are things that you just got to do. He says, pay what you vow, and then you must fear. And then implied God, fear God. Over and over and over, he's telling us, this is what you should do. And the reason he's being so forthright, the reason he is not beating around the bush whatsoever and being so instructive is because it starts with a warning. It starts with this idea that you need to be on guard. You may not have a possession problem or a work problem or a sex problem or a drinking problem, but if you're in this room, you consider yourself religious, you may have a worship problem. And it's the fact that you've come into this space to gain what God gives rather than just to give back to God what he deserves. And that's a big, big difference. And so let's think about this warning in these four kind of imperatives. This is just a four-point sermon. We're going to talk about what it means to guard. We're going to talk about what it means to, to use our words in prayer. We're going to talk about our money and then this idea that we need to fear God. Here we go. Guard your steps. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1 says this. Very simply, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. You need to guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Here's the reason why, right? To draw near to listen is better 
to offer uh, is better than to offer the sacrifices of fools. And this is the result. If you are a fool and you offer a sacrifice that is not worthy to the Lord, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Anybody else shocked at these types of words? I mean, just to go to the conclusion, first and foremost, he's looking at a redstone church 3,000 years ago, and he's saying it is possible for you, very church people, religious people, to do evil in a worship service. Be not evil, that they, they don't even know that they are doing evil. There is a warning here in this passage. You see, this first instruction to guard your steps and to watch what you do when you come toward God is this instruction that we are to guard our steps as we walk toward the Lord, as we walk toward God's house. What is happening here is more than just hanging out with friends. What's happening here is very different from just joining a a buddy at a ball game or a bar. There's something different that's going on here. And for that, we must tread lightly and guard our steps. You see, our bodies will follow where we take them. And so the first thing that he does is he wants you to look at your shoes. And he wants you to look at your feet. And it's gonna, this is where it's going to take you. All throughout the scriptures, their feet take us in various places. We're to follow Jesus, drop your nets and follow me with your feet, right? And so you just shuffle along, right? And then the, the Proverbs would tell us, don't go to your left or right, go straight down the middle. All of these kinds of occasions tells us that what our steps do leads us someplace. And he is saying, as you are walking toward a worship service, you need to have your antennas of warning go off inside you. You need to guard your steps. Because church going is a hollowed and a hallowed activity. Our Father who is in heaven Hallowed be your name. This is a time set apart for God's people to lift up God's name. Nothing more, nothing less. And the second that we add to it, it will likely be in vain because his name is what we are to renown. It's his name that we are to champion. It's his name that should come off our, or out of our hearts and off of our lips. And that and that only. And that's why it starts with a warning. Because you and I tack so many things to it. And they're good things, y'all. The mat and the chairs and the banners, they're good things. The instruments and the guitar, they're good things. The bulletins and the worship guides, they're good things. They're all great things, but they are in vain if they do not do the one goal that it's accomplished is to get our hearts and our minds and our feet to look some other place other than ourselves. Guard your steps, um, King Solomon would say. We are to reorient our lives around him. We are to reorient our words around him and our activities around him over and over and over and over again. It tells us that we are to guard our steps. When we go to the house of God, some of you know about King Solomon and all of his just empire and how he was a great builder of great things. And the thing that was his champion achievement was... 
the temple. It's called Solomon, King Solomon's Temple. It was amazing. It was massive. It was huge. It sat up on a hill. It was glorious and grandeur and amazing. The ceilings were so high and the columns so big. And what you were supposed to do is to walk into that great cathedral and feel small. You were to look up and immediately go, I don't belong here. And that was the point. King Solomon was to point your heart up towards some other place than yourself. And so when he says, guard your steps as you go into the house, go into God's house, he was meaning the temple that he built, and he built it on purpose. Acts would tell us, though, that God doesn't dwell in anything that's built by human hands. Even King Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, would pray something very similar. Because God doesn't dwell in a temple built by hands. However, it was the representation of where God dwelled. And that's when in the New Testament you hear of this body of believers actually called the household of God. Why? Because that's what we are. The word ecclesia means means the gathering. The word ecclesia means the, the assembly. And so that's what you do when you walk toward the household of God is that we assemble. What we are doing here as we are gathering is very, very important. Whether you were 3,000 years ago gathering at King Solomon's temple or you're here in East Tennessee, what we do is our people, we gather underneath the household of God. And he tells us that we need to be warned for that. Is it possible, just possible, that when we draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. There's a time in which we are to draw near to simply to listen. Listening is hard. Listening is almost impossible. Listening means that you are humble. Listening means that you are a recipient of someone else's speech. Listening means that you sit rather than act. And what Solomon is saying is that you have turned your worship service into one big activity. Rather than creating space to hear God and God alone, you've simply become busy with all of the sacrifices. We gather to listen, to hear what he has to say to us. If we get wrapped up in activity, even good activity, there's a chance that we will turn worship into something else. These sacrifices that we were to bring to the Lord, the sacrifices that are the sacrifices of fools or the fact that um, they were bringing, the, the Old Testament would tell us that they would bring these little sheep and goats and, and all kinds of animals to the temple to be sacrificed. And the quality was not there. The mandate was to bring about these sacrifices that were spotless, that were, that were beautiful, that were just, that were just, that were under one years old and they were precious and good and they were just the, the best of the litter or best of the crop. 
And yet what was showing up day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, were these lambs and these goats and these other, these other things that were blind and lame and defective. And the people 3,000 years ago believed the same thing that we believe today, is that if we just show up, God will be pleased with us. If we simply just show up and our attendance is marked, then God will be pleased with us without realizing that the quality, not the quantity, but the quality of our sacrifice really matters to the Lord. Because the fools automatically believe that God will accept anything that you will give him. This passage tells us to put a pause on that. Because what we are to come out of a worship with is simply our ears wide open and we listen to God and God alone. And so in summary, we got our steps because God is hallowed and this is a God hallowed activity. We guard our steps because we are told that we are the household of God. This is why we have gathered because we are there. And lastly, we draw, we just come close and we listen. We listen to God over and over and over. There is a danger. There is a danger that the worshipers can be called both foolish and evil. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil. Slow tongues, overactive ears, simply to listen. There are some of you in here that are coming back to Jesus, and you're actually kind of following Jesus a second time after you've dismissed him for a time. And some of you in here are, have stopped following Jesus because of the church. And sometimes the church just hasn't acted the way that the church should do. And in the words of Solomon, have acted either foolishly toward you or even evil toward you. I would like to say that I am sorry on behalf of that church back there or even this church here. We have the ability to foolishly wound and harm others. At Redstone Church, we have the ability to be evil by turning this into something else and distracting you. And we just want to apologize for that. But despite the foolishness and despite the even evil nature, don't forget how King Solomon starts this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. When, not if. And so he is bold to say there is evil and there's foolishness among you. We are so very sorry. We're so very sorry for that. But that does not replace the fact that we must go to the household of faith. We must go and we must gather with God's people. It's not guard your, stealth, guard your steps if, it's guard your steps when. This is where we are to be. This is one of the safest places for us to be because we get to be both rebuked and comforted almost in the same place. Because hopefully week in and week, not, week out, churches all over, over the globe will do the best of their ability to have your attention 
pause on the chaotic world to get your gaze to go up toward the heavenly fathers into the heavenly heavenlies where there's the father who is sitting on the throne right now and where a myriad of myriads of people are bowing down and angels are singing holy 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 is the lord god almighty who's worthy for our honor and our praise and our glory this is what's happening and we get to join in that heavenly realm if we turn it into anything else we will be foolish in our endeavors So, brothers and sisters, we are to guard our steps. The second thing he goes after, the second thing he goes after is our prayers. Look here. He says this, not only to guard your steps when you go into the house, but verse 2 says, be not rash. Don't rush. Be not rash with your mouth. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Talking to the preacher here who runs his mouth for a living. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. What Solomon is saying is our time of prayer, probably our time of both singing and prayer together, because we, are, we need to not be hasty to utter a word before God. This is our prayer language. This is how we pray. This is how we sing. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Here's the conclusion. Therefore, let your words Be few. You hear that? So be careful. Be careful. Not only is he attacking your attendance, right? He's also attacking our prayers. For us not to be hasty, for our words to be few, to be careful not to be rash with our mouth. He's talking about our prayers here, that we should not, you know, we should be careful not to be too quick to speak. And so why in the world would he do something like this? I mean, as a leader, I mean, attendance is important, right? So why would Solomon go, meh, attendance? Be careful with attendance. To make it much more like spiritual, like I want us all to be praying and singing together with lots and lots of prayers and lots and lots of singing. That would be a great day, right? And yet Solomon is saying something different. Before you go on with all that verbosity, be not rash with your mouth, be not rash with your prayers. Be careful to put just a little bit of a temper there. So, however, it's not the amount of words that we will use. It's the quality of words that we will use. Even Jesus gets in on this when he says, even the Gentiles... Even the secular people around you will pile up or stack up words hoping that their voice will be heard in heaven. The way Jesus would teach us is to simply say, Abba, Father. Jesus teaches how to pray and he simply says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he goes on just to teach a very simple prayer for us. It's not the amount of words It's not even the volume of our words. It's simply our attention and the audience of our words and our words only. This is where he is going. And so what he says to us is that there is quality over quantity. He says, be careful. This is the warning here, is that we will look at quantity, or yes, uh, quantity often. And he says, do not heap up words like the Gentiles. And then he will say, let your words be few. And this is why. He says this, because... Verse 3, 
Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your words, let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are and, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. This is why your heart need not be hasty or a mouth be willing to just utter off and just babble because God is in heaven and you are on earth. This is one of the most important lines in Ecclesiastes thus far. This is one of the most important drawings, even though it is so very simple. Six English letters, because he's finally defining that everything under the sun is vanity. And yet there is something so worthwhile and so worth giving your entire life to that is actually above, something beyond, and it's God himself. And so the reason we attend is for God. And the reason we pray is simply for God and God alone. Not to get something out of it, but simply to praise him. For he is in heaven and you are on earth. He is above and you are below. And so the people of God do this constantly. Do this constantly. Fully lift up God's name over and over and over again. King Solomon has finally drawn a horizontal line. And he says, you must realize that you are a creature and he is a creator and he is worth your worship. And so that's why when Jesus came to us and he said, this is how you pray. He simply says, our father who is in heaven. Hear, O Israel. The Lord, the Lord your God is one. All of God's people simply get above the line in our attendance and our prayer and everything that we do. In everything that we do, we lift God. We fear God. We have great awe in what God has done for us and in us. Over and over and over, we just simply get above the line. And this is a worthwhile worship. Because worship is oh very important for us. There are, I mean, thousands of things that will cease on earth, but worship will go on forever because it is worthwhile. He's just saying there's a foolish and an evil way, and that's if you stay below the line. It's our hearts should swell up in adoration and love for him and him only. We're to look up, and that's why we are to stay in awe. He then goes on to attack your money, and he says, make sure that it's actually a worthwhile cause just to give your money if you simply think it's going to stay down here. And then he concludes with this wonderful statement. He says, for, he says, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. Be careful that your worship service doesn't become a dream that are simply full of words because that is a worship service that will be full of vanity. But then he says, but God is the one you must fear. That's why we worship, is we come into a space where we have awe and reverence of God and God alone because he is above the line. 
The reason for our worship is God. Nothing else. Nothing more. Nothing less. It's God and God alone. And so as we pause and before we take the Lord's Supper, we're simply going to turn to the Sermon on the Mount. And we're just going to repeat back the Lord's Prayer to Him so as to gather our attention up to Him, to have our prayers toward Him, to realize that we are to be in awe of Him. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrite, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues, which is a very religious place, and at the street corners, a very public place, that they may be seen by others. They're below the line. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There's a roar. There's a gain. It's just not going to last. But when you pray, go in your room. Shut the door where there's no applause. There's no attention. And pray to your Father who sees in secret. For He is the audience. The only audience. And your Father who sees in secret, He, He's the one who will reward you. And when you pray, Here's another warning from Jesus. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. That's almost verbatim what Solomon has just told us. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And so in the quietness of this time and in this space, to God and God alone. We pray not to heap up empty phrases, but to pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven.
give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses. Will you forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors? And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Father, will you forgive us now for treating this time and this space too casually? Jesus, will you forgive us for making a worship service like this about us rather than about you. We know, Lord Jesus, that you should have always been separated from us because of your holy and your right and your good and your perfect nature. And yet God the Father sent you to to this earth to bridge a gap for us, sinful humanity, so that somehow, some way, we could walk boldly into the throne room of God and allow our petitions to be heard. This is just an audacious claim. And yet it's true because of the work of Jesus. 
It's here in these moments that we feel ashamed oftentimes that we've made too much about ourselves and not enough about you. And yet you walk into that shame and you allow us to worship, not our names, but you allow us to worship your name, King Jesus. Lord, as we take this table, take of this table, this is a piece of worship that cannot be about us. Help this center us and ground us and define our worship from this day forevermore. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.